0: This is Catch 22 Minutes. Welcome everyone to this episode of Catch 22 Minutes. Author, playwright, poet and care leaver Lem Cisse once famously addressed the prison and probation service with the following powerful words. He said, I came into a system that couldn't hug me when I needed a hug the most. And then years later, I'm the one diagnosed with an attachment disorder. He said in the same speech that he was built for prison by the care system. Now, in today's podcast, we're going to be discussing the topic of care leavers and criminalisation. Why is it that whilst care leavers aged 16 to 18 make up less than 1% of the under 18 population, estimates suggest that over 25% of young offenders and more than 50% of the people in secure children's centres have been in care? What are the factors that mean young people in care are more likely to be criminalised than those outside the care system? What support is available to them? And ultimately, how can the numbers of care experienced children and young people being criminalised be reduced? So to discuss these questions and more, I'm delighted to welcome today's guests. We've got Ben Twomey, who is Director of Policy and Communications at the National Youth Advocacy Service, and he's also co-chair of the Alliance for Children in Care. And Victoria Odude, who is a member of Catch-22's Youth Benchmarking Forum and has spoken on this and similar topics at the Youth Justice Board. So, Ben, let me start with you. Now, these statistics that I just mentioned on the number of children who have experienced the care system and are being criminalised are pretty startling. Can you start to unpack this a little bit for us? What what conditions are leading to children and young people in care being criminalised?
1: Thanks. It's a really important question, because as you say, you know, over half of those children who are in custody at the moment have care experience. That's hugely disproportionate uh, to the number of young people that are in care. Uh, There's a whole range of reasons, as as I'm sure you'd expect. If it was one simple uh, answer, then it would be something easy to resolve, wouldn't it? Ultimately, it comes down to a question of vulnerability. And that's how the the government often frames this in their work. When I talk about vulnerability, I've got quite a controversial view, I suppose, within the sector where I think there's no such thing as vulnerable children. Because if we have a society that works, you wouldn't have any vulnerable children. So if, if we're talking about a society that's, that's kind of set up to work, you wouldn't have vulnerable children. So in a way, it's these children that are in vulnerable situations, or they have been in vulnerable situations. And that's the problem. They're not, there's nothing inherently vulnerable about these uh, children who are in care. And I think that's a really important point, because it's the situation often before children enter care, that is, you know, ex- extremely difficult, it can be adverse, there's the most common reason for children to enter care is around abuse or neglect being the, their primary need. And so they start off with, in some ways, a, a failure from the state and a failure from the policing of the state in order to enter care because they haven't been protected from that abuse or that neglect, those crimes uh, that may have been committed against them. And then before long, you find them on a path potentially towards being criminalised themselves. So it's quite important to separate their inherent vulnerability, as some may see it, from the situations that they've been in which the state should exist to protect them from some of the the reasons that children might be vulnerable to exploitation and this is one of the most common ways in which children find themselves caught up in criminalized in criminal activity is there's 10 reasons basically given by the the government about what would heighten a young person's vulnerability to county lines exploitation and it's a good example for, for kind of wider criminal exploitation because all sorts of things can you know can be used to, to kind of lure a child into to this kind of line of work i suppose as it seems there's a, there's always a profit motive or always always a profit or a power motive around the way children are exploited What some of those things i I won't talk you for all 10 of them but I'll, i'll point you to some of them the point is all 10 of them are are things that children in care disproportionately experience. So it's no wonder that those children in care are then disproportionately exploited. uh, And and that means leading them into criminal activity. So experience of neglect and abuse is number one. And as I say, that's uh, an inherent part of why the care system exists to protect children from that uh, abuse. There's also lack of a safe and stable home environment. We know a child moves home while in care every 20 minutes in in England. And that's really important Um, that it's so difficult to have a positive child experiences when you have so much instability in your life. It's so difficult to build resilient networks that would support and protect you if you have instability uh, to that level in your life. Um, other, other issues are those such as homelessness uh, or insecure accommodation status, makes again people vulnerable to exploitation. And you know we're, we're in a situation where one in four people who are homeless today are care-experienced. Luckily, that's not so many children who are in the care system. But as soon as they leave, they find themselves highly likely, or far more likely than their peers, to, to end up on the streets. Then there's things like mental health or substance misuse issues. And again, we know the connection between being in care and the adverse child experiences experienced before uh, that. And and then just the failure to invest in mental health and addiction support for children, young people, and and then adults uh, as well later on. And one of the factors as well, this is the last one I'll mention, is just being in care. They say being in care makes you vulnerable to being exploited. And the reason this has a really detrimental effect on who ends up in custody is that you're in care you're then exploited, and then rather than being treated as a victim or as a child first, many find themselves treated as criminals by the criminal justice system. And I think it's really important that there's a turn, a change that happens around the way that we treat victims of exploitation, because there there was this conversation about eight, 10 years ago, uh, those in the sector will know, around child sexual exploitation. And there were some very damning remarks from Louise Casey, who who led many of the inquiries at the time around Rochdale and uh, Rotherham, she said in 2015, the victims are children, however they present themselves. And we've taken that on board, I think, or, or, or for the most part around child sexual exploitation. We haven't got there yet with criminal exploitation. And it's important to just remember that phrase, the victims are children, however they present themselves. And if we start to treat them that way, give them the support that they need, begin to find ways out of the criminality and the exploitation that they're involved in, then that will be the best way to reduce that criminalization.
0: Very well put, Ben. Thank you so much for that kind of overview. Victoria, you, as you said, you know, have experience of the care system.
2: Does what Ben is saying here ring true for you? Very true what he was saying about children aren't vulnerable because they are children and they're in the care system plus you're in care and dealing with all of that difficulties like he said, your every child is moved about every 20 minutes so being moved, dealing with different people that you're living with, you may be living with different groups of young people where there's like five or six in the house with you, different personalities and all of that stuff can contribute to like not wanting to be there so you're going to do other stuff to remove yourself from that situation that aren't Exactly safe to be in, but as a child in care, you don't think of those things, you just want to fix the immediate situation and get yourself out without thinking of the consequences, or it could be a retaliation as to the system like you're not liking all of these de- decisions being made for you, you're angry with the decision makers, so you take things into your own hands for that little bit of freedom, and then that results in dangerous situations like hanging around the wrong people being influenced to do things that you don't want to do just not safe and there's many other reasons that happen while you're in care all of the meeting family contact that can trigger you into not wanting to be there and wanting to take things into your own hands.
0: No, absolutely, Victoria. I know something that you're you know, you've spoken passionately about before is this idea that you know you have a child, a young person living in an institution if they're living in care, and then they're being released at eighteen, sort of straight into the the big wide world. I suppose it's logical to think there is then a kind of vulnerability to you know criminalisation. Can you just describe that sort of you know feeling? I guess of being of being released, if you like, at eighteen.
2: Well, first of all, whatever age you've been put into a secure unit or a residential care home or even a hospital, when you're put in there, you're angry. You think you don't want to be here. You think people have taken the choice out of you. So you have no say in the matter. So you're dealing with those emotions whilst you're in there. And when you get out, it's like freedom. It's like my life is now my own again. So you're not thinking about being responsible or mature you're thinking about all the things you wanted to do whilst you were in there you're thinking how can I get money and you're stuck in this place when you then turn 18 as like okay I'm an adult stepping out into this world by myself I've just left an institution like that you're not used to the outside world you're not used to paying bills or taking care of your flat you don't necessarily have any friends to talk to because you've been isolated and that will lead you to talking to people that maybe aren't the best for you you just you're not quite there emotionally and mentally and there's no support for people who have come out from there emotional wise or physical wise you're just not quite sure what to do so when you leave there it's very easy to become you know vulnerable and put yourself in a dangerous situation
0: Mm-hmm. And it's an interesting point there you made, Victoria, about just the lack of support available when a young person leaves care. Ben, thinking about some of those issues that you raised that kind of increases vulnerability, if you like, for young people in the care setting, and then also thinking about when, you know, that point of leaving care, just talk us through kind of what support mechanisms should potentially be in, in place in those two settings.
1: Yeah, I think Victoria put it really well about the kind of what what we hear is like a cliff edge, basically, of support. So you, you you know when you reach 18, which is always a difficult time anyway. You know, you know everyone's leaving college, they're potentially leaving CAMs if they're engaged with mental health services, uh, and then leaving care at the same time. You know, it's all happening at once. And the average age in our country for someone to leave home is 24 years old. But you know, children who who grow up in care don't have that. Option, I'm afraid. So it's it's no wonder that there's more support is needed, and some of that fundamental support is the same things that you'd want from a good parent. What corporate parenting should be, I suppose. It's a very clinical term, isn't it? Corporate parenting about you know what the local council should be doing. But there there should be nurturing. There should be love. There should be uh, that support that doesn't disappear because you've turned a certain age. Because uh, no no, other, no one else would do that. So that's the really important part: is to get more stability, end the cliff edge uh, of, of when young people leave care, and make sure that they feel supported and that someone's there or or in fact many people are there you know it's got all the resources of the state behind it many people should be there for that young person as they enter adulthood some of the things that do exist already are the 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 right that you have as a as a child to be listened to and taken seriously Uh, it struck me that victoria mentioned how you feel like you've got no say in the matter when things are changing and one of the ways that we take that right forward. It's Article 12 of the United Nations Convention on the Rights of Child. It's through advocacy. Um, And and I'm from NIAS, the National Youth Advocacy Service. We provide services right through to 25 uh, in England for for children who are in care, but also for for care leavers. And that means that when an issue arises or or a decision is being made that's going to affect uh, the young person's life, then they have the right to access an independent advocate, someone who's going to stand up for them, who's going to work to empower their voice. Ultimately, the advocate doesn't have a view. The young person is their boss and they get to tell them what they need need resolving. So um, the advocate will basically empower that young person to be listened to. We can't guarantee that we can change anything or, or everything, but we will make sure that your voice is heard uh, in matters that are going to affect you. So that's one of the things that's really helpful for young people to know about. There's also return interview services, which I think is important to mention because there's a big link between criminal exploitation and missing children. It can be a big push factor for children to go, to go missing when there's criminality in the home. It can also be a big pull factor if there's, for example, criminal gangs who are wanting to exploit that young person uh, and offering money or, or reward in, in other ways, a status to, to be involved in that. So return interviews are basically where a child in care goes missing. Uh, again, an independent person can be there to find out what led them to go missing, what happened while they were away what they want to happen now that they've returned home as well and if we can get those things right we can start to make sure that when young people enter adulthood they're not already within the grips of criminal exploiters basically and abusers and then one final thing i'd say is that you've got regulation 44 visits within residential children's homes because children's homes historically have been the place where you're even more likely to find yourself criminalized than, than the rest of the care system so whether you're in foster care or kinship care or, or other ways of being cared for and residential children's homes have regulation 44 visits independent monitoring basically it's something where someone visits once a month and they they make a report they'll speak to the staff they'll speak to the manager but they'll also speak to the young people in that home and it's really important way of safeguarding young people understanding what's happening within those homes because lots of exploitation hasn't always historically come from outside of the home. Lots of it can happen within the home where there can be abuses as well. So having those visitors is really vital, especially vital now because the independent care review that happened uh, has made a suggestion that we remove that role and replace it with strengthened advocacy. Obviously we're huge supporters of advocacy being strengthened, but it's a very different role. As I said, advocates empower you to be listened to and taken seriously. Regulation 44 visits, that's giving you that extra assurance and safeguarding that can't happen with Ofsted because they only visit every so often, you know, once a year or or less, then making sure that we have both roles in place for young people is is a key safeguard uh, to prevent them from being criminally exploited.
0: Thanks, Ben. And I think that, that leads us really nicely into the area that I want to look at next, which is really around sort of policy. And I know Victoria, you know, you've know, you spoken at the Youth Justice Board. You're a, a really kind of powerful advocate for what needs to, to change in the system. Um, I just want to refer back to something that the government published in 2018, which was this national protocol on reducing unnecessary criminalization of looked after children and care leavers. Very wordy title. But nevertheless, this was something that was trying to kind of minimize the risk of criminalizing looked after children and care leavers in order to improve their life chances. And now, when you look through that, I'm sure you're familiar, you know, it talks heavily about prevention, about interagency working, and crucially, as you've said, Ben, about the voice of the child and, and the young person. I want to ask you, Victoria, you know, are those sort of principles being applied, do you think? Um, I mean, Ben mentioned the care review as well. Again, it's about advocacy, isn't it? And about
2: prevention. In, in your view, are these are these principles being lived out? I just think a lot of people are criminalized without knowing, without people knowing the circumstances as to why, for example, care leavers who are being arrested and charged. I'm wondering, does the judge look at the file that has been written down whilst they're in care? So in the care in residential homes or foster carers when they write reports about you, um, about your behaviour and about your character. You know, they could put down that you're aggressive or a non-complier, you know, words like that. And then when when that's taken into court and the judge is reading about your characteristics that other people have told you about, it's not painting you in the best light, but those stuff as to why you're being labelled that is circumstances that happened in the care home. For example, living with people that you have personality clashes with situations arise and that is followed with you for a long time, which is, in my opinion, not correct, not right, because you're being judged on something that was it necessarily your fault? So I think consideration into how that person got charged, where they were living their circumstances before, that should be taken into account. Um, but also when you said about young people being, you know, perpetrators and victims, I think that should be taken into account too, whether it was their fault that they ended up like that or whether it was someone else that, you know, persuaded them to do it. That's really interesting. And just to give us a sense of your kind of experience as a kind of advocate, you know, sort of... Talking
0: about your your own experience, how that seems to go down with policymakers, do you feel like you're getting some
2: some cut through? I think they do hear me. They hear what I'm um, saying, especially when I'm sharing my experience. I'm sharing other young people's care leavers' experience. So I'm bringing all of these voices to them from the young people's mouths, and I'm like, you know, this is what we said. This is. What we think you should listen to and what you should do. I think it happens a little bit like them getting agency workers to work with young people, um, the youth offending team having the staff um, come out and talk to these young people and do workshops with them and talk with them more or less. So those stuff happen but I think there needs to be more to be done about it. Like like Ben said, people going into their homes, having the advocate um, talk for them um, and raise their concerns
0: brilliant and then turning to, to you Ben in terms of you know what improvements you think need to be made what would, what would you say
1: yeah, I completely support what Victoria said about you know how powerful her voice is uh, in this space as well. And that's something we've called for is that no decisions, policy decisions are made about young people without young people, you know, they need, they need to be absolutely in the room. And we wrote to all police and crime commissioners uh, during the last election and since basically to make that case to say that within your police and crime plans, which sets the strategy for your local police force, you need to be saying that any policy decisions that are affecting young people disproportionately, which is the majority of policy decisions, to be honest, the most likely time to be a victim of crime or a perpetrator of crime is between the ages of about 16 and 24 years old anyway regardless of whether you're you're care experience so it's, it's really important that these voices like Victoria's are, are being heard the the best way to reduce criminalization is to address those factors that I mentioned head on it's not even necessarily about the crimes themselves or the exploitation itself that's happening but if we re- remove the the vulnerability the, the situations of vulnerability we tackle the abuse and neglect we give stability for children in care we end economic vulnerability and homelessness invest in mental health as well as treatment for addiction and and, and so on. All of those things would make it unbelievably hard work for someone to try and exploit young people because they'll be safe they'll be happy they'll have all that they need and they'll be protected as well by adults that are there to, to look out for them so that would be the best way to reduce it there have been huge strides actually in recent years around reducing the number of children particularly from residential children's homes as i mentioned who are being criminalized and i've got to do a shout out to the howard league for penal reform for their excellent work uh, on this as well we loved the uh, protocol for reducing criminalization i won't do the whole mouthful you just did melissa but, but we loved that. That so much that we started talking about it in in wales where we also work and they've only just uh, launched this year their own version of a, a protocol to reduce unnecessary criminalization so that's fantastic news and i think it's a great document. But as you say, as Victoria says, it needs to be put into practice as well. And one of the best things is putting people face to face with those that are making policy. That just leads to my final point on it. It's good to be face to face with the people making policy. At the moment, it's not always the best to be face to face with the police themselves. We know that unnecessary contact with the police can increase your likelihood of being criminalised. And that one of the big historic problems with children's homes is that calling 999 would often happen over things where, you know, most parents would not even consider involving them. The police uh, there's a young woman who who i work with who volunteers uh, with naya she's fantastic Who told me a story of when she was growing up in care and she was about 13 years old in a children's home she threw a remote control uh, for the tv it burst you know the batteries fell out and they called the police that wouldn't happen in most homes but that children's home chose to involve the police fortunately when the police arrived it was a good experience because they uh, chose to basically uh, put their ire onto the uh, children's home staff rather than uh, the young person. But it could have easily gone the other way if there was a police officer that was less self-assured, that wanted to do what the staff um, were telling them to do, or, or was just taking a hard line. That could have easily gone a different way, and then there could be a criminal record. We've got the most, uh, among the most, uh, punitive criminal record system for children in the whole of Europe in England. So that's something that needs to change. But. So getting in front of uh, policymakers, I think is really important. The National Police Chiefs Council acknowledges that care experienced children often have a negative view of police, and they say that that can be based on experiences. So over time, those experiences need to change. Over time, when you come into contact with a police officer, hopefully it will make you less likely to be criminalised as a child rather than more, and more likely to be protected rather than less if you're finding yourself uh, being put into handcuffs and things like that. But until we reach that point, the policies and the protocols will be a great way of starting to change that culture and that behaviour.
0: Yeah, I was just going to say, Ben, what you're talking about here is a, is a culture change, essentially, isn't it? And I think you, you hinted at, you know, in child exploitation, perhaps we're getting there with that, but but we still have some way to go. And Victoria, I want to give you the last kind of word on this. You know, if you were to pick one, maybe two things that you think need to happen to reduce the number of children and people in the care system who, who are being criminalised,
2: what would they be? I think it is going into those places where the young people live, foster carers, residential homes, and having a worker to minimise missing episodes, exploitation, anything that goes on in the home that might end up sending in charge. Like Having a worker, a mentor, a youth offending team, someone that will help you work through any of the issues going through, and it will be someone different, as in not a social worker, not someone that is in your circle. So having that support there as a worker to work with the young people, and also I I guess, thinking about the circumstances as to why that young person has been charged. Um, Like workers, like the police, the judge, the court services should be more lenient and more understanding as to why the young person has ended up there, Looking into the background Um, and just the general character of the young person and not what is written down.
0: Thank you so much to both Victoria and Ben for their brilliant insights and passion they bring to this subject. If there's one thing that stood out, it's how we need a system that listens to and understands the complex challenges and experience that being in care brings with it. Only then can we hope to prevent more care-experienced young people becoming victims of exploitation and criminalised.